My name is Scott Challoner, and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As our regular listeners will be aware, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end today, I welcome Derek Egan onto the programme director and founder of Specialist Geotechnical Consultancy, Remedy Geotechnics, which specialises in working with the construction sector. Um, Derek, a very warm welcome to you today, and by all means, thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you, Scott, and uh, yeah, thanks for uh, contacting me. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, a real pleasure having you uh, with us and I uh, must thank you, of course, uh, for your time in doing that. Um, obviously, there, um, for those unfamiliar with you and your business, um, I've only given mm-hmm. sort of a vague overview as to what it is that you actually do. But just to kind of provide a little bit more detail, how exactly is it that you as a firm sort of fit into the wider mm-hmm. construction sector in terms of helping develop and maintain the built environment? Mm-hmm. Yes, well, obviously, um, the built environment and particularly um, the sort of construction sector is, you know, it's a vast, um, a vast uh, landscape of different skills. Um, so we fit there um, as a very niche um, and uh, highly specialised um, consultancy company. We're, we're a, an office-based uh, companies where we do most of our work. We do go out onto sites and what have you, but we don't actually physically um, build things ourselves. Mm-hmm. So the um, the field of uh, geotechnical engineering um, really relates to anything that um, uh, has to do with the ground, engineering within the ground. So that could be anything from uh, tunneling, through to providing foundations for um, large buildings, whether it's power stations, bridges, um, all the way down to foundations for houses, bus stops. Um, so, uh, you know, a vast range of different sizes of type of structure we might be um, getting involved with. Um, another aspect that we also deal with is um, slope stabilization, um, particularly with uh, climate change, sea level rise, change in. Uh, rainfall events. There are various parts of um, of the world, um, but you know, particularly um, in the UK where we, we mainly work, that are prone to landsliding, and uh, we get involved um, in projects relating to that as well. So, as as I said, really, we're we're a consultancy. So um, that means we do um, well. Firstly, we have to understand the ground. Um, and assign to it engineering parameters, and then use those parameters in conjunction with whatever it is um, that we're looking to support um, in the ground uh, to design the foundation. So that might be something quite uh, shallow, or it could be um, very deep foundations like deep piles, um, get involved with basements, which can be anything from single story um, quite easily up to three, three, four-story deep uh, basements, and we have um, a whole suite of tools at our disposal. Um, a lot of uh, obviously computer-based software um, where we can do various analysis 
to determine um, the size of the foundations are required, um, whether there's going to be any uh, settlements uh, caused by putting a heavy building on the, on the ground or on the foundations, or indeed if we're digging a large basement or a large excavation somewhere, whether you could get relaxation in the ground that could then cause neighbouring buildings to perhaps uh, settle and crack and uh, uh, suffer in some way or another. So that sort of summarises, I think, um, what we do. Yeah, and it's hugely fascinating and hugely complex stuff, even when, you know, you're not actually physically building anything. And obviously it goes without saying as well, Derek, that construction is a key industry to the UK. So over the last couple of years with the uh, the pandemic situation, when we saw a lot of other sectors basically sort of going into sort of a stasis mode, like the hospitality industry, for instance, that mm. didn't happen with construction, did it? It had to carry on. Um, but given yeah. obviously kind of the niche nature of what you do, I'd be interested to understand just what kind of challenges the pandemic threw up for sort of you in your line of work and how you sort of endeavoured to get around those challenges. Mm, mm. Well, I think initially, um, you know, although I think um, we probably saw lockdown coming maybe a week, maybe a couple of weeks before it actually um, sort of hit us for real, um, was, was one of shock, I think. Uh, and you know, uh, and possibly a little bit of fear. You know, how how are we going to cope? Um, we're only a small business, so how are we going to cope with this? Um, you know, quite significant shock. Now, uh, fortunately, um, our sort of IT systems um, are pretty much um, all cloud based, um, so. Uh, it was relatively easy to say to people, take your computers home, um, we'll give you some computer screens, um, we can work um, using Teams, uh, Microsoft Teams for our sort of video conferencing. Um, and therefore we were able to transition to the home working sort of situation fairly seamlessly, we hardly broke step. Um, so that aspect was um, was very uh, fortunate. Um, the sort of the work coming in, as, as you rightly say, construction was kept going. Um, and in fact, our work coming in again didn't really um, dip off other than for the first uh, few weeks when I think everybody was really just reorientating. Um, I think the biggest challenge is that we were dispersed. Now, we, we have two offices. We have one in um, near Northampton in Daventry and another one up in Yorkshire in Harrogate. So we're actually quite used to working as two separate teams. But I think individuals then working in their homes and um, being quite cut off from others. Um, yeah, okay, it was a bit of a novelty to start with, mm. but I think as time went on, I think people, um, and we're all feeling just probably a little bit lonely. You know, I think as, as human beings, we, we are fundamentally a sort of a, a re relational um, type people. We, you know, mm. we live 
uh, our, our most of our lives in some form of relationship and our working environment is a is part of that and i think that that lack of um personal interaction affected um some people more than others and the other thing was uh, or is and i think it still is now even though um many people are back or transitioning back to you know the office-based work um lots of people still are working remotely and when um particularly you have maybe younger less experienced um engineers um not um sort of uh, co-located in the same room or same office mm. as more experienced um engineers there are there are a lot of very subtle um uh interactions that would go on through the day where the younger engineer might say i've got i'm looking at this or that or the other um how would you approach it um and those interactions go on all the time and they they are the ones that that, that lead to um others um you know accruing more experience and maybe just getting a little bit of a, a guide or a steer before they start off on something that they are in fact going in in the right direction um so there's probably an efficiency um element as well and there's also the other element that you know very often um you know our our, our expertise is greater than the sum of the parts mm. just brainstorming um a problem or a um looking for a solution um it's harder there's more barriers to that if you've got a range of teams meeting or, or or whatever so um i think they were the, they were the main main challenges for us yeah, certainly. And I can see exactly where you're coming from. And I think um, on that last point, um, they call them over in the United States, those water cooler moments, don't they, where you're in an office together, mm. sort of bouncing ideas off each other. And they are key to driving innovation. And you do lose a lot of that when you're not in that space together. And it is more mm. difficult to, you know, keep an eye on sort of those younger, more inexperienced members of staff who, you know, might need to sort of be a little bit more inquisitive and may do much better with that in person. But also it's hard yeah. to kind of look out for people's mental well-being and things like that. And uh, when you're not there in person and picking up on those very subtle social cues. And, you know, at a time where we're kind of talking about mental health more than we ever have done in the face of the uh, the pandemic. And, you know, we're more mm. inclined to be forthright with our feelings. It's a, it is a challenge for leaders to, you know, safeguard that mental well-being among their colleagues when you know they can't physically see them of course that situation is getting better but leaders are still having to try and adapt to sort of being much more aware of that aren't they now i i think so um yes um and i i, I think as as time's gone on and um, i was reading a piece yesterday um discussing um the right house house building and um, a lot of the uh, developers were saying that um, this has sort of been a, re a residual or a, a slow creeping, uh, slowing down of the planning process. And they were attributing that to more dispersed uh, working, slowing everything down. And um, I think, uh, you know, some of these effects have perhaps been quite slow to, to emerge or haven't been. Mm. Uh, obvious until until now 
Yeah, I'd say that's very right um, as well. And um, obviously, you know, there's been a great amount of difficulty and there are still difficulties being faced by the industry following COVID and also the advent of Brexit that's come about over the last couple of years as well. And we'll touch on both of those points um, in a short while. Um, But what I wanted to understand was from sort of the crisis situation that we have had and managing through that, Derek, would you say Mm -hmm. that you've actually sort of come away from COVID having learned something from the experience and maybe almost become more resilient for it in your view? Um, yes, I mean, I, I mean, as they, as they say, every day is a school day. Mm. Um, yes, I think have learned a lot. And I think there were, you know, there would be things that I would probably do more differently. And some of that would probably be, um, looking at the, 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 the pressure and stress, um, different, uh, different members of staff, um, uh, were experiencing and weren't apparent to me at the at the time, but um, uh, and, and and also the fact that, that that you know the same set of circumstances for different people um, leads to you know different people respond in different ways. Um, mm. and, you know, I think uh, yeah, I think uh, probably led me to you know even uh, or appreciate better the wider differences between people in the same sort of of circumstances Mm. yeah that certainly makes sense uh, from my perspective because you know the the way that sort of we lead our businesses is sort of starting to change and the expectation of you know new staff uh, prospective candidates that's starting to change as well and again that's something i do want to uh, to touch on as well um but just obviously uh, backtracking for a moment um looking back mm. a little bit um earlier in your own career um i understand that you of course derek were part of the uh, the royal marines and i wanted to kind of get a bit of a, of a perspective um, as to whether you feel your experience earlier in your career has kind of helped sort of shape your leadership style going into the field of geotechnical consultancy and whether you feel that that's helped in you know situations of difficulty like through the pandemic mm. yeah i think um yeah, so I think uh, I, I did uh, did join the Royal Marines as a uh, as a junior when I was actually sixteen, and then sort of transitioned into um, fully accepting the, the Queen's shilling when I was uh, eighteen, and uh, thereafter I was in military for for about nine years. Um, I mean, in terms of the positive things that I think. Um, it sort of contributed in my development, I think would be certainly determination, uh, resilience, um, uh, and, and just the, you know, just the, the, the discipline. If you've got to do something, mm. you know, you, you, you set your stall out, then you just need to work steadily towards that. Um, and I think those are things that, you know, pandemic certainly, um, uh, were, were qualities that helped it would help anybody through through the pandemic. Mm. Um, I think one of the things, and it took me quite a few years to realise this um, after leaving um, the service, was that um, I was used to when people were, were told they had to do something, they would go and do it. Whereas mm. um, I think people without that, that background may be somewhat more um, inclined to um, do part of what they've been asked to do, or perhaps do it in a slightly more um, relaxed or, 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 or less urgent fashion, mm. or maybe not do it at all. And um, 
you know, the military kind of, uh, and, and this is going back to the, what, the 1980s, I suppose. You know, it was a question if you were told to jump, you asked, you know, how high? Whereas today, I think people are, are a lot more softer, a lot more inquisitive. And if you say, well, can you jump? They might say, well, why do I need to jump? Is there a better way of doing this? And um, I think uh, that's something that I've had to had to learn more sort of softer skills, softer approaches, and um, uh, yeah, perhaps you know understand a little bit more or give a bit more latitude into the way that different people now would approach a problem. I think that's very right. I think the demand for those sort of soft skills among leaders and also those on the ground is something that's really, truly manifested over the uh, the course of the last uh, couple of decades. And, you know, um, mm-hmm. we're seeing, um, we, we know, obviously, it's a very well-documented issue that the construction industry is one that has suffered from skill shortages for a long time. And yes. one of those skill yep. shortages is the soft skills. We're very aware of that. Um, but obviously there's there are huge issues with you know training pathways um sort of the standard of education being provided um and the covid-19 pandemic and incidentally also the advent of brexit which sort of have come about simultaneously um they are said to have exacerbated that skill shortage issue I wanted to kind of get an overview from your perspective, Derek, in your corner of the industry as to what the status of the skills shortage currently is and to whether or not it has actually been worsened by the impact of the last couple of years in your view. Yeah, I think um, I think there has been, there definitely is a skills uh, skill shortage. You know, we've tried to recruit and, and had great difficulty finding people with the experience mm. and the uh, the temperament, possibly as well. Um, I think in the UK, I think our construction industry, um, when you look at it, sort of compared, um, sort of internationally, is actually probably pretty efficient. Um, although there are sometimes, you know, high-profile uh, difficulties with construction projects. Mm. The um, the quality and the speed with which stuff is built, um, I think you know is is world leading. Um, but to work at that pace, particularly, and we find we're working very in a very fast paced environment in terms of the projects we do. Mm. Um, it does put a lot of time pressure, and to be able to respond within those tight working time scales. You do need people who have not only got excellent um, background, sort of educational skills, you know, um, very good at maths, for example, um, science, physics, um, which they will then have developed through um, hopefully good and demanding um, uh, degrees and possibly even postgraduate um, training. But that needs to be linked with the um uh, experience um and it's getting that experience um or getting people with that experience that has proved the most um difficult i think mm. it's kind of getting them into education isn't it because um obviously those with the experience to go and do the work that's required are out in industry working on the ground and obviously salaries in the the education sector are so far behind industry 
that you know remuneration isn't good and there's no real incentive for those professionals to go in and teach that next generation so that's one problem um but mm-hmm. as well i think uh, given um sort of the nature of what you do as well i think it's especially relevant so do correct me if i'm wrong Derek. but technological advancements are so so regular within sort of niche corners of construction that you know education's almost struggling to keep pace with the latest developments isn't it as well so a lot of the knowledge that's being taught out there to these young people who will be the next generation of workers it can be a little bit outdated can't it so it's marrying those together also um i think so yeah i mean certainly certainly in, in what we do in geotechnics i mean i think um probably a couple of things there's probably the sort of basic uh skills and one of the things that i um i think i find often often youngsters want to do something that's quite quite glamorous Mm. work on projects that are quite glamorous now um in terms of, of of having engineers who um we can uh we can rely on they do need to understand fairly basic uh, when i say basic i mean fundamental really they need to understand the fundamental principles of soil mechanics and those principles are quite intellectually challenging to um you know to sort of get your head round. Mm. um now it's often easier to go into a more nebulous management situation. Um, it's often easier to go into a more perhaps um, uh, site-based um, organisational logistical um, position where you don't need those fundamental skills. Now, often the people with the fun, you know, who are uh, intellectually very bright and are engaged by the um, the sort of mental challenge or, or yeah, of of understanding those fundamentals um, are probably not that uh, suited in some ways to working in what can be quite a, a fragmented industry and an industry that's very demanding. You know, it is essentially an itinerant industry because, you know, projects um, start, are built, uh, and are completed, and then you move to do your next project. And um, I, I, I think some of the demands of the industry um, probably put off um, people who would otherwise be um, excellent um, uh, and into, in, into, in, intellectually um, really well equipped for sorting out these difficult technical challenges, perhaps are not attracted to the industry. And, um, you know, the industry's got a really, also got quite a poor um, record for attracting women into the industry. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's almost like we're, we're starting off only looking at half the population, and then even that half the population we, we put off we put them off because some of the um the, the, the sort of practical and, and possibly even behavioral um uh, facets that, that the industry's got and also the very fragmented nature of the industry I mean, it, mm. is, it is extremely fragmented and often very short term looking um i think 
um, I, I read and read this many, many years ago that um, uh, the person who had authored this piece I was reading said that they felt the civil engineer probably reached, reached their peak at the age of about 55 because you needed to see all sorts of projects. Um, and what I find is that sometimes I think the youngsters coming in expect to get um, into positions of responsibility very quickly. Um, and perhaps um, are not gathering that experience as they go through. Um, and that could tie in with the fact that natural, you know, there are other sectors, other industries that um, offer better terms and conditions than construction does. Yeah, I think that is a huge problem, isn't it? It's the working conditions in the industry um, and obviously the changing expectations of sort of this, you know, younger talent that is coming through. They want, um, you know, higher responsibilities higher positions higher remunerations a lot quicker i suppose and they're also mm. attracted to sort of more glamorous things i mean there is this idea isn't there that um the construction industry is fundamentally one that's very manual very dirty very male dominated and not as quite as lucrative as it is in reality and that's another challenge that we have there it has to be addressed doesn't it um it it, it does and you know without a doubt um uh actual site conditions have um, improved uh, dramatically. Um, now, um, and that can only be a good thing. The attention to health and safety um, has improved dramatically, you know, with many companies having a sort of zero harm um, type um, culture now when, 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 when you know, you should not be cutting corners um, and you should be making sure you're progressing um, every activity and of course in terms of constructing a even a small building the, the number of different activities is is huge and um, every activity needs to be uh, reviewed and considered from a safety perspective and a, and a, and a sustainable perspective as well so whilst there's work being done there um, I still think there's a um, probably a long way to go um, to really widen that net of attraction. Mm. I certainly uh, believe so. Uh, there's plenty of groundwork to be done, and it's not just, of course, the industry's role to do that. It's something that the government and education, of course, has to, uh, of course, contribute to. Um, but in your view, uh, Derek, to so, yeah, yeah, go yeah, on. I'm, 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 and on that on that point, um, there might be something to do with um, being risk realistic uh, with the youngsters about the you know the expectation mm. um, that they should have. Now, obviously, I'm not a military, uh, sorry, I'm not, I'm not a medical doctor, so I don't know what what sort of training uh, doctors and people in the healthcare system go. But you know, you wouldn't expect um, somebody who's just got their medical degree to suddenly be out um, doing, you know, complex you know, brain surgery or something. So there's a clear, you know, there must be a clear um, progression. I think within con the construction industry, we don't have that um, clear uh, progression and possibly reward that um, enables people to to realize they're going to start off okay they might be doing fairly modest um or, or paying modest contribution um 
to solving a problem or a construction project. But over time, they will build upon their modest contribution and continue to develop and grow such that when they do become this mythical 55-year-old um, person, they really do have all the tools, all the experience um, at, their, at their command. Mm, absolutely. It's going to take a very comprehensive strategy, which encompasses all three of those stakeholders, you know, obviously government, education, industry, yep. and then also bringing the learners on board as well and making it clear to them what the progression pathway is. It's going to take that, isn't it, to sort of do away with the skill shortages, entice more people in and ultimately change perception? I, I think that's, that's absolutely right. And um, one of the things that, that really works against doing that is the dreadfully fragmented nature of the construction industry mm. and there's always you know there's always somebody who's able to you know at, at the at the smaller end um barriers to entry can be fairly fairly low really for new organizations starting up and they can then um uh leverage lower cost um at least to start with which then um, brings the overall uh, sort of cost base in the industry down, um, which means that you know there is less resource for for training and development. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, and I think as well when it comes to trying to implement plans to you know get industry together, sort of talking to education to talk about sort of how the skills gap can be sort of closed in an efficient way. I suppose the fragmented nature of the industry that you've talked about and the fact that there are so many stakeholders means that whatever suggestions are being made at the table, you know, it isn't going to be a one-size-fits-all approach and there are going to be winners, there are going to be losers, aren't there, all the time? I think there is. And, and uh, you know, I do think um, this is where government um, really has to uh, step in. Um you know, I I often reflect on the on on the dreadful dreadful tower um, situation, and just see within that and and what we've understood from the inquiries that have been held um, is uh, is this picture of fragmented industry, lack of clarity who uh, about who is responsible for what, lack of authority. Um, for you know, for for somebody somewhere to say, actually, you know, um, whilst we might have a cheaper solution here, it's not a good or a safe solution. Um, so, you know, often cost overrides, um, in this case, safety considerations. Mm. Um, and I think it's it's probably ever, ever been thus if you go back in into history and, and look at various. Um, accidents and disasters that have that have happened um it's often where cost um has got um such a sway and um uh the sort of technical critiquing of the appropriateness of either a solution or a, a course of action has not had sufficient authority to say no um we need to you know we can't proceed down this route. We're going to have to proceed down another route that is safer. And to do that, I think there needs to be some sort of governmental um, action and um, something like perhaps 
the um, the registering of engineers to be able to sign off things from a technical perspective and not just leave it to a to a cost perspective. Exactly right. And, you know, given the challenges that the industry sort of facing as a whole um, under the current conditions, um, I'd be interested, Derek, just before we wrap things up on the programme today mm. to understand what your kind of hopes are for the future of the industry, the improvements that you'd like to see made, and also where you sort of see your business fitting into all of that moving forward and how you hope it progresses. Yeah, well, I certainly think we need to be getting smarter. And I think I think we are. Um, we are getting smarter, working smarter. Um, there's there's a big drive on, you know, digital uh, digitization and use things like digital twins, where you build a, a facility, you know, in a, in the virtual world, um, and you can use, you know, um, increased computing power, uh, virtual reality, etc., to to um, uh, plan your building. Uh, things like um, prefabrication um, so that rather than uh, having to literally pour concrete in, in into formwork, wet concrete into formwork on site, for example, you can actually have um, pre-made elements. Um, that, I think, is, um, is a very strong way forward. Um, I think we're going to be facing uh, for some time supply chain uh, challenges, material um, material cost increases. Mm. Um, so again, we need to become uh, smarter um, with that. So our business within that, you know, I think we are actually, and we position ourselves um, to be doing the um, possibly the more uh, challenging um, design work, numerical design work. Um, so we are quite strongly uh, orientated to using you know new new, new digi- digital and uh, and imaging even um, approaches um, we have looked into for example using um, drone technology um, to do things like survey uh, landslides um, so that's a good example of how you could survey really quite a wide area with more than adequate accuracy using drone technology much more quickly than you could using um, standard surveying techniques and with the advantage you don't you know you don't need to have people clambering all over steep steep slopes so there's a safety and the safety benefit so you know i think um that will help us get better and get get more efficient um if we can really capitalize on Digital technology, um, off-site um, construction, um, and we really do need to sort out this skill shortage and get a proper development pathway for particularly technical people um, throughout the industry. And let's certainly hope that we do start to see that manifesting over the uh, the coming weeks and months because it is something that's urgently required. Uh, there are record, of course, vacancies in the uh, the country at the moment. And if, of course, it's allowed to persist, you know, we're going to have a very, very big problem. So let's see what comes of this. And um, Derek, mm. I have to say um, as well, it's uh, been an immense pleasure and incredibly enlightening welcoming you onto the show to talk about these issues. And 
I would actually love the opportunity when we, you know, start to see the fog clear a little bit and we understand more about sort of how this is being addressed, if at all, um, to sort of welcome you back and sort of catch up on the current state of affairs in the sector, because this has been incredibly informative and I'm sure the listeners share that sentiment as well. Hmm. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. And uh, yes, by all means, it'd be good to catch up uh, sometime in the future. It absolutely would, Derek. And um, of course, please do take care and stay safe with all still going on in the uh, the world as well. It's been an immense pleasure. Cool. It was an immense pleasure welcoming Derek Egan from Remedy Geotechnics onto today's programme. And I do hope that everybody tuning in thoroughly enjoyed the interview today. Just to remind listeners, if you are a business owner or the head of an organisation yourself and you feel you have your own story to share with us here at the Leaders' Council, then by all means, we do want to hear from you and you too can apply to be on our programme via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply, where you'll have the opportunity to share that story with us. To all of our listeners, until next time, you've been listening to the Leaders' Council podcast with myself, your host, Scott Challoner. Take care and goodbye.